It said minority parliaments last on average about 18 months before voters are called back to the ballot box. We're approaching 18 months since the Liberals won a minority election. Is it time to head back to the polls? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. It was October 2019 when Prime Minister Trudeau and the Grits won 157 seats in a minority government. Little did anyone know that a global pandemic would grip the planet. Well, since then, truckloads of cash have gone out the door to keep people afloat in the lockdowns. There have been rumblings about the want for an election, and now with a budget to come on April 17th, it's looking a lot more that way. The vote on it will be a confidence vote, which could bring down the government. Now, our unpublished vote question asks, do you want a federal election this spring? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. Now, coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at the prospect of a federal election with Lori Williams, associate professor and student advisor at the Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. As well, Stephanie Plant is with the Center for Security, Intelligence, and Defense Studies at Carleton University. And starting us off, Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos public affairs. And Daryl, do you think MPs want an election right now? I think some MPs might want, want an election, but I don't think most MPs probably don't. Uh, having an election in the course of a, of a pandemic is an extremely risky proposition, as we're seeing right now in the province of Newfoundland. Until we, uh, uh, until we um, uh, went through the Newfoundland experience, I think people uh, were developing the trope that, uh, you know, elections for uh, during pandemics were pretty easy to relatively easy to do and favored the incumbent and because that's what we saw in terms of uh, in terms of the outcomes but i think newfoundland uh, has raised some doubts about the ability to even safely pull off an election why is that well i, I think because the the elections are complicated things i mean you have mm -hmm. to find a way to make sure that people vote fairly uh, that they vote uh, in this instance safely uh, and that uh, what the election leads to is a representation in terms of the outcome, which is uh, uh, the, the public would regard as a legitimate statement about what the what the the voters wanted, but also that was fair fair to the parties that were participating. And there are going to be questions raised about what happened in Newfoundland, no doubt. So that's going to be you know trickling into whatever considerations any of the federal parties, particularly the federal Liberal Party, uh, might be contemplating about uh, about having a, a near term election. What are your, your last numbers uh, federally? Where where do the parties lie? We have the uh, Liberals with about a seven-point lead over the Conservatives, but I think rather than looking at the latest numbers, the, the, the more useful thing is to look at the last pattern of numbers because mm -hmm. uh, one poll doesn't make a, doesn't right. make a political uh, a political outcome uh, or actually settle uh, political arguments I think a, a pattern of polls do and if you take a look since the last election it's basically been the same all the way through uh, the liberals have been in the lead and haven't lost their lead since the last election campaign uh, in fact the last time they were really behind in our polling was the last election campaign when they lost the popular vote uh, the conservatives have been in second place even though they've decided to change their leader it hasn't really done very much for them uh, the ndp uh, seemed to think that they had a pretty good result in the last election campaign heaven knows why they lost almost half the caucus but they think they you know they came out okay um, but uh, they haven't really moved they're still down in that 15 16 um, uh, area and then the green party also a party that's changed its leader and nothing's really happened for them so we've had a, what i would call blurs day in polling i mean it's just 
the same over and over and over again. The Liberals haven't been able to break away. Uh, the Conservatives haven't been able to close. When you look at, uh, I guess, in terms of issues, vaccine rollout is looking to be the biggest issue we're going to be dealing with right now. How, how, do you see that as something that could impact uh, or negatively impact the Liberal numbers? Yeah, I think anything that relates to the pandemic, because uh, when you go out and you ask people what's the most important issue facing the country today, it's overwhelmingly the pandemic. Unlike the last election campaign, and by the end of the campaign, people were saying it was climate change. Well, that's moved down to number six. Um, so there's a whole lot of things that relate to managing the pandemic and managing the economic recovery that are more prescient for the public right now that they're more focused on. Daryl Bricker joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, as we discuss a potential spring election. And, you know, obviously it's all about money when it comes to an election. Are all parties, uh, I guess, flush with cash and ready to go? Yeah, they are. Uh, the problem that they've got is flush with cash to do what? Mm. I mean, normally yeah. you'd use that cash to fund a leader's tour. Uh, you would use it to fund, uh, you know, uh, campaigns at the local level. I mean, we, we don't even know what that really looks like anymore. Uh, but they're, uh, you know, pretty clearly the, the advantage is to the incumbent because they're well known. Uh, they have all the machinery of government at their disposal, particularly in the run up to the election campaign to get their message out. And the opposition parties, which relied heavily, very heavily on earned media and campaign tour to get their message out, really only have the debates to uh, get a national audience for anything that they're going to be saying. Uh, the truth is, um, you know, one of the, the advantages of Canadian politics is we don't spend a lot of money on our elections, unlike the United States. One of the disadvantages is you need money to be able to fund a campaign to, uh, say, for example, knock off an incumbent. And if you restrict what people can raise and you restrict what they're able to spend, that gives a huge advantage to the, to the party that's already in power because they use all the machinery of government to get out their message. You know, when I, when I look at the situation for for a, an election, um, we, we talked about the vaccine rollout being something that could affect the Liberals. What what issue do you think is out there that could uh, surface during the election that could change whatever the direction is? Well, I, th I think, you know, what we seems to be emerging is a different sense of what the vision of the recovery is going to be like. Now, that might seem premature to the public. Um, or anybody listening to this podcast right now, because we're, you know, slipping into a third wave in Ontario and in a, in a few other places, and we're still desperately fighting to get things back on track. But um, there is a certain amount of attention that the public's giving to, you know, what's next. And it, there seem to be two different visions. I mean, there's one that is, this is the best opportunity in a generation to get a whole lot of things that were wrong in our society right. And as we showed with the pandemic, government properly motivated and public dollars properly uh, directed can lead to really positive, significant change. And I think that the liberals are going to be saying that. They're going to say, well, you know, we fought um, the income issues that related to what was going on in the pandemic. We can use the same mechanisms and the same will uh, to go after things like climate change, to go after things like, uh, you know, inequality, um, uh, to go after things that, uh, that they've been talking about since uh, prior to even the 2015 election. But now uh, it's like, okay, well, now we can use um, what we've been able to show as successful in our, in our vision of how government should operate to take on a whole series of other issues. And then you've got the other message, which is, well, yeah, we're all about the economic recovery, but uh, governments may be a bit of a facilitator, but it's not the driver. I mean, what we really need is we need um, um, 
uh, we need the private sector to be revitalized. We need uh, businesses to come back, particularly small businesses to come back. Uh, we need people who are not working for the public sector, people working for the private sector, the little guy, as, as, as we've been, uh, one of the other parties has been referring to it, uh, as, uh, you know, getting back because they, uh, you know, unlike public servants whose maybe their biggest concern was whether or not they can be able to work from home and get the right, you know, ergonomic setup <laughs> for, for doing their job at home. Uh, if, if you're a person who is working in a restaurant, if you're a person who is working in a coffee shop, if you're a person who's working in uh, any uh, contact with the public in uh, uh, you know, any other industry, especially in the private sector, you've really, other than through the curb uh, money that you've been getting from the government, you've really, you've really been suffering. Uh, so you've got those two different visions of what the future looks like. And every election in Canada and every year increasingly so comes down to basically what private sector workers in the, in the suburbs of our major cities think. And they're the ones who drive what the election outcome is going to be. So you're going to see two different par major parties coming forward with two different visions of what the recovery is going to look like, both of them trying to appeal to that same group of voters. All right, and uh, we'll uh, put you on the on the spot for a prediction. Do you expect a spring election, and you, do you want to pick a date? It's complicated. It's complicated, <laughs> Ed. I mean, everybody. I mean, and, and, well, come on, let's be honest. I mean, everybody yeah. says, "Oh, we'll just have an election." No. How do you? How do yeah. you have an election? Okay, well, the government's going to bring forward a budget. Are they going to get defeated on their budget? Well, they have the minority majority right now, right? I mean, they have to get all three parties to agree to vote against the government. That's not a small thing. It's why Stephen Harper was able to govern for almost a full term between 2008 and 2011, because he couldn't get all the opposition parties to vote, or even one of the opposition parties, to, to uh, the, the right combination of opposition to bring him down. down. Until Michael Ignatiev did one of the strangest things that's ever happened that I've seen in politics, uh, you know, agreeing to, uh, to, to vote against the government when he didn't have to, when he was in third place. It just, it didn't make any sense. But so we're in a situation like that. I mean, to whose advantage is it to have an election right now? Well, it's to the liberals advantage. So all that has to happen is just with the, the fall economic statement, the NDP has to say, no, I'm, actually there's stuff I don't like here. And I'd like the government to do a bit, a little bit differently, but by and large, I don't want to have an election. So I'm just going to vote for the government. Then they have to engineer an election. Okay. Well, how do you engineer an election in this environment? What is it that's so necessary that you have to get people to maybe even risk their lives to participate in an election campaign? What are you not getting from the House of Commons? What are you not, what, what is not succeeding that requires you to do this? Well, they have, they have to engineer that uh, because one of the things they'll have to do in order to call, to call an election, which everybody assumes is so easy to do, is break the Elections Act uh, because... You're required by law to wait for four years unless, yeah. unless you're defeated. So, uh, you know, when I hear people say, oh, we're going to have a spring election. Okay, exactly how? Mm, yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of wild cards still uh, still out there. Daryl, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. While we don't have a definite answer on when there might be an election, there would be some challenges in a pandemic. Stephanie Plott is with the Center for Security, Intelligence and Defense Studies at Carleton University and, and joins us now. And, and Stephanie, what challenges are there for Elections Canada to try and hold a vote in a pandemic? 
Uh, well, you said it best, right? It's a vote during a pandemic, and uh, we have our neighbors to, to the south to see what can go wrong and what can go right during these kinds of really challenging circumstances. But um, nevertheless, there's been 43 countries that have held elections since COVID-19 uh, was declared a pandemic. So we've had elections in the UK and Israel and Germany um, and some other major democracies, including Japan and South Korea. So we it can be done. Um, it's just very expensive. The law has to be a to be able to allow uh, people to vote in a different way. So now everybody on the planet knows what a mail-in ballot is. If you didn't know what that was before, you definitely do now. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, probably one of the, like, this is kind of uh, the minutia, but one of the biggest, biggest challenges that all electoral management bodies are facing is recruitment. So recruiting poll workers, recruiting people to count the ballots, recruiting people to go into the old age homes to do the uh, special balloting. Um, and I don't blame them. You know, it's a job that is very public facing. You're facing different people all day long. And those people are probably going to want some sort of pay. Now, in the U.S., they were able to get uh, um, some sort of like uh, danger pay, if you want to call it that, for poll workers. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see if Elections Canada has that kind of incentive as well. Uh, what about more virtual voting or somehow to, to make it more remote so there's less contact? Do we expect more of that this time around? And it well, might not always, even be in the spring. It could, it could be later, but. Yeah, um, my spidey sense says it will be in the fall. Um, I think they're going to want a lot of us to be vaccinated, but I'm not a, a I'm not a clairvoyant, so I don't want to uh, make too no many problem. predictions, but um yeah, so that is a very good question. So Canada obviously has a federal framework called the Canada Elections Act, and there is no virtual option in the Canada Elections Act. Now, that is different at the municipal level and at the Indigenous voting level. So on reserve, you have a lot of internet voting, you have telephone voting, you have a lot of innovation and really cool things happening. But at the federal level right now, the only two ways to vote are in person or by mail. Mm. It seems that we're uh, behind a lot of people. That's for sure. Um, yeah, you know, there's always every like five years or so, usually after every general election, when people complain about lineups and how long it takes to count the ballots, we do get some noise about getting some sort of electronic component. But you can register to vote online and you can register this election to get your special ballot online. So you can, just like now for your CERB or whatever, you can go online and register to get your vote by mail. Um, so we do have some sort of virtual options, but the actual option to vote online isn't there. You know, Stephanie, when when you if we end up going to the polls, and it, obviously mm -hmm. we don't know if we're not, or, uh, at least this spring, uh, one of the other things too, uh, for one, for the candidates, how to canvas and, and for the Canadians, the voters out there, do you want candidates on your doorstep? How do you deal with an issue like that? Uh, well, we've had three provincial elections, right? Since COVID has come out, we've had BC, Saskatchewan, and right now we have um, Newfoundland. And essentially, the edict across the board has been there is no door-to-door. -door. All your meetings will be virtual. If there is anything in person, it has to be like within 10 people in the size of a football stadium when everyone is like six feet apart. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people are managing. Um, but there is some interesting trends, which I think you will like to hear about. Uh, one of the reasons why people are calling elections during a pandemic is because it's been very good for incumbents mm -hmm. across the board pandemic elections often reelect the incumbents now obviously the big exception was the united states but across the board whether it's provincial municipal federal uh, incumbents get reelected. so there's obviously some sort of advantage there that they're playing with that people don't like more uncertainty when there is uncertainty 
Yeah, exactly. You know, when and you brought up the uh, when we talked about virtual voting or more options to vote. Do you think that's what it's going to need, or or more options for voting to provide a more robust uh, turnout of voters in the next election, whether it's spring or fall? That's a really excellent question, and actually, the research is very interesting because the polls show time after time again that young people actually do not like online voting. They actually love the experience of going to the polls, voting, hashtagging, selfieing themselves. There's actually a hashtag <laughs> called dogs at the polling station. Um, and if you look it up on Instagram, it's just people who go to the polls, they tie up their dogs, they take a picture and they hashtag dogs at polling stations. And so the actual push for online voting is with elder populations because they're just busy and they like want to do it when they're paying their bills or while they're doing other things online. So, you know, I think as our population ages and it's not a secret that we have a big demographic of people who are going to be entering their more senior years, let's say, oh, yeah. um, they will absolutely want uh, that option. And so whether or not any next round of legislation addresses that will be very interesting because, like I said, we already have it at the municipal level. We already have voting machines at the municipal level. And um, in Indigenous communities, they love online voting because they have a lot of people who live off reserve. And this is the best way that they can enfranchise them. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. This was so fun. Thanks so much. Stephanie Plott is with the Center for Security, Intelligence, and Defense Studies at Carleton University. Now, the last federal election saw a lot of regions flexing their muscle. The bloc returned to Quebec politics while the Liberals could not win a seat in Alberta. Lori Williams is Associate Professor and Student Advisor with the Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University, and she joins us now. And Lori, if we did have a spring election, would it all be about the vaccine? Well, there's no question. We've seen governments uh, go to the polls and minority governments go to the polls in Canada. And they've been all all but Alberta governments have enjoyed a boost because of, of the vaccine, even if they're not being particularly effective in their, their rollout of the vaccines. So there's no question that a minority government wants to try to translate its support into a, a majority. And that that provides a pretty big incentive for an election. Now, in terms of vaccines, you know, obviously healthcare is a provincial jurisdiction. And when we talk about the vaccine rollout, whether it's negative or positive, who's going to get the who's going to get the credit or the abuse? Will it be the premiers or will it be the prime minister? Well, it depends on where the delays are being caused. So mm -hmm. if, we, if we've got enough vaccines coming into the country, as seems to be the case now, um, then the federal government's going to get the credit for that. If there are delays and problems, uh, if the, the decisions about who gets the vaccine when, whether it's teachers or frontline workers or whoever it is that's getting those vaccines, if those sorts of things are causing controversies, of course, the focus is going to be on provinces. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, we're hearing the federal government say that we will all have access to a vaccine. Everyone who wants one will have it by September. And that tells me that they're expecting they can do it considerably earlier than that. Um, and in fact, we're, we're hearing noises that they think um, they think by, by July they'll be able to have people uh, vaccinated. And of course, that that means that a lot of, of Canadians, not only will they feel safer and less concerned about this virus, they'll be able to rejoin family and engage in social activities, but most importantly, engage in economic activities that will look something like normal and possibly begin to climb out of the hole that a lot of people have fallen into. And, and there's been a, a, a very strange thing about this 
this pandemic is that some people have continued to earn as as they did before. They've done it from home relatively safely. Mm-hmm. The risks have been low for them. And there have been other people who have been really feeling the, the anxiety and the pressure, um, both economically and in terms of the healthcare risk. And as those anxieties diminish, I think every government across the country is going to enjoy a bit of a boost in the polls. Now, it's the longer term economic questions that come up. What are, how are we going to pay for all this money that's been spent? Um, are things actually being delivered in the way that, that people wanted? The focus is going to shift away from the pandemic and on sort of more everyday things. And that's going to put a lot of governments in vulnerable positions. And so there'll be an incentive to, to call elections before that starts to happen. In terms of the conservatives, obviously they've got a new leader now, but do, do they want an election right now, or let's say this spring, because O'Toole hasn't really uh, resonated with a lot no, of people. The, the good thing about about Aaron O'Toole's position right now is he's got more more money in the bank. Um, mm-hmm. He actually the Conservative Party out fundraised the Liberals in the last quarter. Uh, by about a million dollars. So they're in a good shape as far as the the uh, fundraising uh, element of things uh, goes. But Aaron O'Toole um, very recently was trying to reintroduce himself to Canadians. They don't really know who he is. And, and, and that's a problem in that he has to broaden the base. It's also a problem in that there isn't a lot of clarity within the party about what he stands for. And yesterday, after the uh, Supreme Court announcement on the uh, constitutionality of the carbon tax, Aaron O'Toole said simply that he would scrap the carbon tax and we don't have any idea what he would replace it with. This is a huge problem because in the last election, perhaps even the last two elections, one of the vulnerabilities of the Conservative Party was that it didn't seem to have a credible plan for dealing with environmental concerns, for meeting our obligations, um, our our environmental obligations um, in international agreements like the Paris Accord. And I I don't have any sense at all of what he, he has in mind that would be equivalent um, to the current carbon tax, there's a fair bit of support in terms of the goals of that of that plan, and the fact that it allows provinces to approach it in their own way um, suggests that there there's uh, you know certainly as as past elections have indicated a lot of concern that we have some sort of credible plan for dealing with these sorts of things, and nobody seems to know where Aaron O'Toole stands, whether within the party or outside. This uh, current Liberal Minority Parliament is being propped up by the NDP. Uh, We do have a budget on the way next month. Do you expect the NDP to pull the plug or do you think it will continue to prop up the Liberals? I don't think the NDP is in as good shape as the uh, as the Conservatives are. So I don't think, uh, unless there's some sort of provocation that they simply can't live with, I don't think they'll they will be as likely to be the ones to 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 pull the plug. Um, But again, I think what we're going to be seeing is an attempt by a number of different parties to say that it wasn't their fault that the election was called, that they had no choice and to blame other parties for what happened. But we're far enough into this mandate that, um, I mean, this is, we're we're in the range where most minority governments fail. And so how it happens, I don't think is going to be as big an issue going into the next election. What is going to make a difference is who's got a vision for the future. Um, a better vision for trying to to um, to sort of generate the kinds of jobs that that people need and 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 make whole the people that had all of those losses that occurred during during the pandemic because there are people who lost jobs, there are people who lost businesses, um, and those are the kinds of investments we're probably going to be going to see in the in the budget. Uh, and despite criticisms that we've got an economy that's ticking along just fine, there are lots of provinces that aren't, lots of businesses that aren't, lots of individuals who are going to have trouble finding jobs in the places they did before. And uh, the government's going to be speaking very strongly to those folks. 
Does the bloc remain viable in Quebec? That's an interesting question. Um, much will depend on, I guess, the spin of how, how things uh, work there. Uh, Mr. Blanchet is very popular in Quebec. He's in, a, in a, an enviable position because all he has to do is say what he wants the government to do that will be better for Quebec. Um, but support for government in Quebec, in spite of all the troubles that they've had, support for government in Quebec is high, both for the federal government and for the provincial government. So I think there's going to be uh, a bit of a battle going on there. And, and I think there'll be targeted and strategic campaigning to, uh, to try to get more seats for the Liberals. And of course, the, uh, the Bloc is going to try to hang on to what they've got. And uh, do you have a prediction for us? Do you expect a spring election or no? Uh, well, signs are looking increasingly like, increasingly like there will be. I think there are a few unknowns still. Um, unless the federal government is more confident in being able to get those vaccines done, let's say early in June, I, I'm inclined to think it's more likely to happen in the fall. Uh, but of course, if they can get those vaccines out and, and we've got uh, people in a position where they're, they're able to rejoin family, friends and the economy, um, I would say an earlier election is likely. Laurie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Lori Williams is associate professor and student advisor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. Now, our unpublished.vote question asks, do you want a federal election this spring? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guests, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, Stephanie Plott, the Center for Security, Intelligence, and Defense Studies at Carleton University, and Lori Williams, Associate Professor, Department of Economics, Justice Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. And I want to thank you for watching The Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.